Friends, it's good to pause as we near the end of the liturgical year and approach the beginning of Advent to remember the goal, to remember the reason for which we are believers. In the gospel, Jesus references those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead. The goal of discipleship is the reward of heaven, a reward given to those who die in Christ, and a reward that consists in rising from the dead with him. St. Paul's words from his first letter to the Corinthians are especially appropriate today. In that letter, he speaks about the critical importance of the resurrection, both Christ's resurrection and of those who die in Christ. Quote, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. You are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are the most pitiable people of all. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. End quote. Now, there are many beautiful aspects of belonging to the community of believers on earth friendship, inspiration, and beauty. But the truth is, if we are disciples of Christ for the goal of attaining only what we can experience on earth, then we are, to quote St. Paul, the most pitiable people of all. He says further on in that same letter, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection, why not seek the cheap thrills from dishonest gains and loose living? It would be a good question if it weren't for the truth that Jesus did rise from the dead. The tomb is empty and our hope is sure. We long for something even greater than cheap thrills, and our Lord has promised it to us as a reward. Revelation 22, see, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. Matthew chapter 5, rejoice and be glad for your reward will be great in heaven. At the end of the liturgical year, the church calls to our mind the reality of the last things. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. We'll all go through three of them. She calls them to our mind because it's important to make adjustments if we veered off course from our destination. I've been told that an airplane is apparently off course 99% of the flight. The pilot is constantly making adjustments to arrive where and when he or she desires. So one area I'd like to present as a point of adjustment in our lives is the common approach to marriage. Marriage was mentioned in the gospel today. Marriage is a vocation, a call to holiness a means of attaining the reward promised to us by Christ. But unfortunately, when looking at the vocations of religious life, priesthood, and marriage, it's common to approach marriage simply as the path of least resistance. 
The requirement of celibacy for priests and religious brothers or sisters can cause people to slide into marriage unwittingly and automatically. Friends, that approach needs adjustment. Marriage, as the Lord invites us to embrace it, is not a default state of life that happens unintentionally. Marriage is a real calling from God to reflect reflect the love that Christ has for the church. And as you can see, that is anything but automatic or unintentional. It's a calling to holiness, a call to live in such a way that Christ can say, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. To apply what we have said about the resurrection to the vocation of marriage, we could also affirm that there are many beautiful aspects of getting married on earth. More than friendship, inspiration, and beauty, I honestly can't think of anything greater that the world can provide. But if we approach marriage only for what it can provide on earth, we also, like St. Paul says, are the most pitiable of people. Our hearts long for more. And in the vocation of marriage, Jesus calls us to that more. Jesus calls men and women to marriage in order to reflect the love that he has for the church. When the world looks at a married couple, our Lord wants them to see an image of Christ and his bride. St. Paul describes this meaning of marriage in his letter to the Ephesians. Quote, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her to sanctify her. He goes on to say that this calling to reflect the love of Christ has been the plan since the beginning. He quotes the book of Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he concludes, this is a great mystery, but I speak in reference to Christ and the church. From the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve and gave them to one another, he had in mind the marriage of Christ and the church. The vocation to marriage is a call to reflect that love, and it's a call to attain that reward, to be admitted to the wedding feast of the Lamb. The wedding feast of the Lamb, the resurrection of the living, heaven, that's the goal of marriage. Of all the sacraments that the church celebrates, five are given for the sake of the recipient. Baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, confession, and anointing of the sick are all given for the personal holiness of the one who receives them. Marriage and holy orders are given for the sake of others. They're called sacraments of service. A priest receives holy orders so that his flock might be holy. And a couple receives matrimony so that their spouse might be holy. It's a sacrament received for the sake of others. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her to sanctify her. The calling from Christ to each husband and each wife is to love their spouse so well 
that the other is made holy, that the other receives the reward of heaven. That's what Christ does for us, and he calls us to nothing less. Our hearts long for nothing less. So with this appreciation of marriage in mind, I want to suggest a couple of points of further reflection. The second one, much longer than the first, and I want to suggest these to those who believe that they're called to marriage. So number one, what criteria are you using to consider a potential spouse? Does the goal of heaven rank first in your evaluation of guys and girls who could be the one? For those responding to the vocation of marriage and not simply sliding into a default state of life, questions like, will she help me make it to heaven? Will he help me become holy? Should be the highest priority, not simply icing on the cake. Number two, the calling of marriage to reflect the love that Christ has for his church concerns the entire relationship of the spouses, including the conjugal aspect of their relationship. If we look at Christ's love for the church expressed most beautifully on the cross, we'll see four characteristics. His love is full, faithful, free, and fruitful. His love is full. He held nothing back. This is my body. This is my blood, which is for you. Here is all of me. I give myself to you fully. His love is faithful. John 13, 1, quote, He loved them to the end, end quote. His love is free. He didn't have to go to the cross. He chose to freely for our sake. John chapter 10, quote, I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, end quote. And finally, number four, his love is fruitful. The death of our Lord on the cross bore the fruit of forgiveness of sins and new life. The church has always seen in the blood and water that flowed forth from Christ's side an image of baptism and Eucharist. From Christ's love on the cross, we receive baptism, the forgiveness of sins, and we receive the Eucharist the fullness of life, full, faithful, free, and fruitful. That is how Christ loves us, and that is the joy of how spouses are to love one another at all times in their marriage, including their conjugal relations. And it's for this reason that contraception is immoral. It falls short of the love to which married couples are called, it's not full, faithful, free, and fruitful. With contraception, spouses say to one another, I give everything to you except this. It disposes couples to lack faithfulness and freedom because it allows conjugal relations to occur regardless of whether the couple is ready to welcome a new life into the family. And with that kind of license, marital love can devolve into scratching an itch, a compulsion that is not free, 
and it becomes a serious temptation to infidelity. And finally, and most evidently, contraception is not fruitful. Can you imagine placing a barrier between Christ's side, pouring forth blood and water, and the church? Neither should we. The vocation to marriage is a calling to reflect the love of Christ for the church at all times, a love that is full, faithful, free, and fruitful. So, of course, that love is going to be sacrificial. That's why marriage is not a state of life that we unwittingly slide into by default. It's a calling from God to holiness, to live in such a way as to attain the resurrection of life to receive the reward of heaven. And we need men and women to take up that call. We need beautiful witnesses of the love that Christ has shown for his church. So let me conclude with a resource and a reminder. This topic is way too large to cover in one homily. For example, I haven't even touched natural family planning, which is a morally good way to regulate childbirth. For that topic and for much more, I highly recommend a book by Christopher West entitled The Good News About Sex and Marriage. Honestly, do yourselves a favor and read this book. It asks the hard questions about the church's teachings on sexuality and marriage, and it answers them beautifully, revealing God's plan for couples in a way that he wanted it to be revealed as good news. So please check it out, Christopher West, The Good News About Sex and Marriage. And finally, the reminder. The calling of God to the vocation of marriage is another expression of the same beautiful truth of his love for us. God wants nothing from us. He wants everything for us. The high calling in marriage to love as Christ loves requires sacrifice. And our Lord loves us too much to let us settle for anything less. He doesn't delight in the required pain. He delights in the love attained. That's what he wants for us. And that's what he gives to us. This is my body. This is my blood, which is for you. So as we approach the Eucharist, let's receive that love fully. And let's take up his call to love in the same way. Thank you for listening to Aggie Catholic Homilies. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Be sure to check out our sister podcast, Aggie Catholic Talks, to hear talks from Magnify, Catholicism 101, and more. Thanks, God bless, and gig em.